Racial bias in the media is what perpetuates the negative black rhetoric, and it's what contributes to the negative impact on our community's collective psyche. The story is that black people uh, won't learn, so why should you put money in their educational systems? The story is that black people are violent, so the police can treat them any kind of way. The story is that they're big and they're strong and they're violent and you, have, and you can fear for your life. That's a story. These stories are killing us. For one, the media is sneaky and it manipulates people's inability to think critically about the supposed facts being presented um, before them. But uh, the fact is, I, I find it very disappointing that you're not discussing the fact that 93% of blacks in America are killed by other blacks. We're talking about the exception here. We tend to accept some things um, as, you know, facts that are not, like black on black crime. The idea that crime is um, related to race as opposed to proximity and opportunity is something that we have to start talking about. There is no such thing as black on black crime. Crime is crime. Funny how the media covers white riots versus black protests. News. Seems like when the protesters are black, the media uses some pretty harsh words. The bad guys. Lawlessness, looting, wild animals, criminals, uh, and thugs. Thugs. Isn't it the right word? However, if you're white and you're tearing up the city because of a game, you're just young people. Young people danced on a flipped over car as UK fans did stupid things. Some maybe got a little out of control. Seeing a scene like this just shows how passionate the UK fans are. It's so tough to lose and unfortunately the ugly side that we sometimes see in sports. And notice how the police always show up to a black protest in military-grade equipment, and yet the media claims they're just doing nothing. It's inexplicable why the police are doing nothing. Let's mobilize the National Guard. If I'm a rioter and I see the police doing nothing, I might feel like I have a license. You would. But at white riots, the cops actually are standing around doing nothing. Another group of cops over there just standing there. No one was really doing anything. These guys look like they could be watching a parade. And why is it that the leadership of the black community is always called into question? Where is the leadership? Leadership. The black leadership. The absence of leadership. And it goes back to leadership, but that leadership has to come from the community. But no one ever questions the leadership of white parents who let their kids burn down and vandalize their college campus. These are just uh, young college students who think they're playing some kind of a game with police officers. No, sometimes they don't even call a white riot a riot. Party gone awry. Some fans got a bit too rowdy after the win. A dispute. A bloody brawl. There was some type of altercation. Waco, 170 arrested, nine people dead. They're not thugs. Baltimore, no deaths, but it's a riot. Chock full of There's a point a couple years back after the recession where crime, and in particular black crime, was being reported misproportionately. And that's because crime and in particular black crime was down 37 percent the crazy thing about it was crime reporting on black crimes was up 900 percent now why is that i could be at work you at kid? school in my car i can still get shot by the police but i can get shot anywhere this woman obviously so upset and she you know her fear is is genuine she says that she believes that wherever she is she could get shot so it's no more dangerous for her to be in the middle of that crowd you know how do you how do you respond to that well her fear isn't real it's based on emotion and it's not based on anything uh, factual that she'd be able to articulate it's just out of control behavior i'll tell you what she faces danger uh, and, and where, where she faces danger it's being on the street 
in any American ghetto where the black-on-black -black crime is a bigger threat and a bigger problem in the black community than the police use of force. We have to kind of break away from this notion that black-on-black -black crime exists. Crime exists in the black community because of poverty, right? Our crimes are poverty-driven. Um, we commit crimes because we don't have. And everybody just wants to be American and live a, a regular, basic American life. You want your house, your white picket fence, you want to be able to go on vacation, you want to be able to eat vegan if that's your thing, or, you know, or barbecue some pork chops, you know, if that's your thing. You just want to live a basic American life. I think that we have been taught um, in some ways that we don't either deserve that or are not owed that, or that's not something that we could, should aspire to. Yesterday, White House Senior Advisor Jared Kushner was talking up how much this administration has done for the black community and claimed that you can't blame his father-in-law for not putting in the effort. Take a look. One thing we've seen in a lot of the, 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 the black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that uh, President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about, but he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful. And what you're seeing throughout the country now is a groundswell of support in the black community because they're realizing that all the different bad things that the media and the Democrats have said about President Trump uh, are not true. It is generally fairly rare for a mainstream media outlet to entirely fabricate a story for them to claim that something happened which simply never did. Yet, this doesn't mean that they present us with unfiltered, objective truth either. I want to draw here on Stuart Hall's 1997 lecture, Representation and the Media, to suggest that we can draw a useful distinction between events and meaning. By an event, I mean a thing that is being reported on. In most instances, we can assume that the event on which a news report focuses did take place. Again, in our contemporary context in the so-called West, complete fabrications are, if not non-existent, relatively rare. Nevertheless, the news clearly does more than simply point to an event and say, this happened. A great deal of emphasis in news reporting is put on not only highlighting the fact that an event has taken place, but also in telling us what it means. The media is responsible also for how other countries around the world view African Americans, which isn't in a very positive light. You know, I have friends from, from all across the globe, two of my closest friends, one's from Barbados, uh, the other one is from Nigeria. And, you know, you talk to them about the images that they've seen of Black Americans um, growing up, and it was all negative to the point where when they came to America, they didn't really want to move around, you know, black Americans, go to school with them it, because they thought we were dangerous. Birth of the Nation, right? Um, it introduced the concept of the buck. It introduced the concept that black people, black men in general are unruly and if black people have power, this is what they're going to do to not only your community, but to your women, right? I think the, the buck character in the movie, like, kills a, a white woman, but that's the birth of the Jezebel, of the buck, of the mammy, and every other problematic stereotype in, in the media. One major category of anti-black stereotypes portrays black people as contented, faithful servants. My head's splitting. Well, lean back and let Lily rub the back of your neck. Slavery's defenders used these depictions to argue that the institution couldn't be amoral because black people enjoyed serving white families. I don't know why we leaving mouses high. 
He been good to. Hardworking and loyal, the Mammy figure was painted as deeply devoted to her white family. How am I gonna take care of you and Miss Jessie if I ain't here? I's your cook and I wanna stay your cook. In The Birth of a Nation, D.W. Griffith's 1915 white supremacist film, which is largely credited for the 20th century resurgence of the KKK, the Mammy character, played by a white actor in blackface, defends her master's home from Union soldiers, suggesting that she's so committed to serving that she would risk her life rather than seek freedom. Proponents of slavery used the Mammy to suggest that, far from being abused, black women were beloved and willing surrogate mothers to the families they served. Master Carrie's coming! Praise the law. But historians have found little evidence to substantiate the idea that enslaved black women were even commonly working in the home, as the Mammy trope suggests. You know, or if you look in a lot of a lot of these black actors in modern times that are getting awards, they're always in really um, demeaning roles. So one of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington, right? I would say, I would argue his best performance is Malcolm X. You, I can't tell, I think Denzel to this day, I think Denzel is Malcolm X. He did that good of a job, right? Didn't receive any awards. But he got a award for training day. Being a crooked cop in the jungle, right? Got an Academy Award for that. Great movie. I love the movie. But it, it, it made a black, it, it, he got an award for being a crooked black man. Crooked cop at that. Holly Berry, one of my favorite actresses, she got an award and she had to do some demeaning things to get that award with a white man, an older white man. And it's like, I'm connecting it back to slavery. I'm connecting it back to birth of a nation, right? And like this white savior coming in to, to swoop this and save this black woman up, right? You think about most of the images you see of, of black people post, I would say like, Post like 1993 are typically negative images. You know, uh, when they show black males, it's we're usually involved in some kind of criminal activity, you know, or we're abusing black women. You see that a lot on television. I mean, with black women, it typically shows them as either, you know, single mothers, or it shows them, you know, as just sexual beings, or it shows them as like ball busters. You know, and so, but it doesn't show them as mothers, as wives, you know, as nurturing, as caring, you know, same thing with black males. It doesn't show us often as, as fathers and husbands, community leaders, you know, it's typically all destructive behaviors. If I'm turning on music videos and every rapper is talking about guns, drugs, and whores, after a while, after, after a few years, you internalize those values and you think of yourself that way. Um, and then others that are not of our community think of us that way. Michaela is a seventh grader at a majority white middle school. Her responses completely change depending on the race of the children in the picture. Marcy and Renee are in school together and they're in the hallway and I'd like you to tell me what you think is happening in this picture. She probably looks like she's going to steal it because Marcy's like, oh no, what happened? And mm -hmm. he's like, hey look, 20 bucks. <laughs> And so, do you think that Renee is doing something good, bad, or um, just neutral? I think she, I don't, I think she's going to take the money. Do you think that Renee and Marcy are likely to be friends or not? Not really. And what do you think about Marcy's parents? Do you think they'd be comfortable with her being friends with Renee or not? Um, well, if they find out the situation that happened, they might be a little concerned about if Renee's a thief. Mm-hmm. And this one we have, 
Erica and Allison, and they're also in the hallway at school. Can you tell me what it seems is happening in this picture? Allison looks like a sweet girl, Mm -hmm. so I think that she would pick up Erica's money and give it back to her. Okay, so then do you think Allison's doing something good, bad, or neutral? Um, pretty good. And what about Allison and Erica? Do you think they're probably friends or not so much? Yeah, they're probably friends. Okay. Do you think Erica's parents would like it if she was friends with Allison? Yeah. Her responses, according to our expert, Dr. Melanie Killen, could indicate a subconscious racial bias, a bias that kids develop from messages they hear at school, at home, the characters in the TV shows they watch, and what they see online. The media is a powerful tool. If you, if you go to any elementary school right now, ask black boys what they want to be, they're going to say NBA player, NFL player, or rapper. It's because they don't see lawyers on TV. They don't see astronauts on TV. They don't see black business people on TV. You know, my my uncle told me, man, you have a better shot at being the president of the United States than to be in the NBA. He's like, these are just mathematical. This is data. These are facts. Right? But we put all our energy and everything we have into being a rapper, into being a, uh, <laughs> an NBA player. It's, not, it's for 99.8% of us, it's not going to happen. But that's what they want you to think. They want you to think that's all you can do. That's the only way you can be successful. Outlets like World Star Hip Hop, the Jasmine brand, um, these are not Black American owned um, media outlets. However, they specialize in portraying Black Americans in the worst light possible. You've got to ask yourself, what is that about? Well, that's about um, white supremacy and white racism towards Black Americans being worth, being valuable. It pays. It pays to hate Black folks. Since the first colonizers arrived in the United States to this very moment, wealthy elites have used the tools of theft, exclusion, and exploitation to expand their wealth and power to the detriment of Black, Latinx, Indigenous people, and marginalized people of color. It all boils down to this simple truth. Racism is profitable. The profitability of racism sparks a vicious cycle called the oppression economy. Elite institutions are motivated to suppress the economic vitality of people of color. That economic oppression in turn hinders our political power, and that political oppression kneecaps our ability to change the system. This cycle plays out in every aspect of the economy and is particularly apparent in mass incarceration. The criminalization of people of color is a multi-billion dollar industry. In 2017 alone, mass incarceration costs $182 billion, trapping mostly low-income Black and Latinx people in a cycle of economic and political disenfranchisement. We have to get more people who look like us in those positions. We've got to get more people behind the cameras and in the executive rooms to ensure that our stories are being told. I mean, this is no different than what the history books say and how, you know, Black American history starts with slavery. It's a brainwash. And so many young people, Black kids come up thinking that our history starts with slavery, not knowing that we are kings and queens of our own in our country, in our continent, around the world. 
I know that I'm telling my story from Jump. I've been like, this is a very specific story. It's a story about me and my friends. It's a story set via my point of view. And I think, if anything, it was about like dispelling the notion that it was gonna represent more people. Naturally, there are elements, being a black woman, that resonate with lots of black women. And I don't take those for granted, but I don't seek to do those things. We have a lot of conversations in the room just about what we experience as black women, very specific stories. Obviously, we're all different. We don't all agree. We don't all think the same. We don't all like the same things, even agree on story points. But it's like having those voices in the room, we try to represent through our various characters. And I think that's the, the most fun part of it. Storytelling is a lost art. And we have to do so in our homes and in our communities. You know, I'm an advocate of historically black colleges and universities. And it was there that I was able to really find my voice and the power that, it, that comes with being a Black woman. On the next episode of No Church in the Wild, we will examine white fear and how it impacts the everyday lives of African-Americans.